funny thing happened on my way to jail <laughs> in Washington, D.C. 13 days ago. I couldn't get arrested. <laughs> I tried. God knows I tried. I locked arms. I locked arms with Bill McKibben, Wendell Berry, Terry Tempest Williams, Gus Speth, Kathy Matea, Daryl Hannah, and over 2,000 young people dedicated to nonviolent civil disobedience at the Capitol Power Plant in Washington, D.C. Together, we blockaded the plant for nearly four hours. We willfully violated the laws of the District of Columbia, but the police politely declined to arrest us. <laughs> Where is Bull Connor when we really need him? <laughs> Two months ago, I said from this pulpit, turning the tide against global warming will require the largest, most diverse, most creative, and most courageous mass movement in human history. I was wrong about the courageous part. I got carried away on a wave of rhetorical hyperbole. <laughs> Ella Baker, Diane Nash, John Lewis, Medgar Evers, and James Reeb risked their lives standing up to the Klan and racist police, and some of them sacrificed their lives for racial equality. You don't get any more courageous than that. It didn't take much courage for 2,000 of us, mostly white, mostly middle class, to risk arrest in broad daylight in the nation's capital, in the glare of national news media. But some of those who joined us risk their lives and livelihoods every day for environmental justice by challenging mountaintop removal in Appalachia, strip mining on Native American land, and power plants and toxic waste dumps in urban African-American neighborhoods. For me, that was the real victory of the Capital Climate Action, a strategic coalition of grassroots environmental justice activists, traditional environmental organizations, and the emerging mass movement of young people energized and radicalized by the threat of global warming. On Friday, February 27, 12,000 youth and young adults from across the nation gathered in Washington for PowerShift 2009, the second National Youth Climate Summit. One of a handful of middle-aged and elder guests, I joined a Roman Catholic college student, an evangelical Christian environmentalist, and a Buddhist nun on a panel titled Faith, Justice, Morality, and Climate Change. I felt honored to have been invited and awed to be in the presence of these dedicated young people as they come into their power, and not a moment too soon. The new youth climate movement is big, it's diverse, it's savvy, and it's implacable. These young people know they're the first generation ever to inherit a habitat globally damaged by their parents. And frankly, they're not thrilled about it. These kids are dead serious and wicked smart. They're not going to settle for political lip service or corporate greenwashing. They came to Washington to demand legislation in 2009 that dramatically cuts greenhouse emissions. 
creates millions of green jobs and repowers America with 100% clean energy. During the weekend, they jammed classrooms for workshops with titles like Lobbying 101, Media Boot Camp, Mapping Your School's Carbon Footprint, Civil Rights, Hip Hop, and the New Eco-Equity Movement, and Addicted to Oil, America's Struggle to Kick the Habit. They listened to Jerome Ringo, president of the Apollo Alliance, an evacuee of Hurricanes Katrina, Rita, and Ike. Ringo is the first African-American director of a national environmental organization. We've lived in a decade of lost opportunity, Ringo told the power shifters. Now we live in a decade of last opportunity. We do not have the luxury of time. On behalf of his and previous generations, Ringo offered an apology for squandering the Earth's abundance. But we want to offer you more than an apology, he said. We want to offer you hope. Echoing Langston Hughes, he concluded, we want America to be America again. They listened to Walia Johns and Inai Begay of the Dine Navajo Nation, co-directors of the Black Mesa Water Coalition, who told of the ravages the Peabody Coal Company had inflicted on their people and their land. The Indian Wars are not over, declared Inai. We're still fighting to protect our lands and our territories. We need to unlearn our individualism. We need to relearn our responsibility to community. We're getting nowhere unless we're bringing all our peoples with us. They listened to Donna Edwards, the first African-American United States representative ever elected from Maryland. Edwards stormed Congress by knocking, knocking off an entrenched anti-environmental incumbent in last year's Democratic primary. When people say communities of color don't care about the environment, they're wrong, Edwards proclaimed. It was young people who put the environment and climate change on the national agenda. Everyone said, nobody votes on the environment. You proved them wrong. What you have to do now is take charge. On Sunday morning, hundreds of us participated in the Awakening the Dreamer Symposium, an extraordinary workshop developed by the Pachamama Alliance. Co-founder Lynn Twist led the Global Sufficiency Summit here in the Meeting House last fall. The symposium deftly blends music, video, guided meditation, and participatory exercises to break the trance of materialism, individualism, and hopelessness that grips nearly all of us, at least some of the time. In its place, the symposium lifts up a vision of an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, and socially just human presence on this planet. When we buy a cute little radio for $4.99, an animated video asks, who pays the true cost? People who live in communities victimized by pollution, resource extraction, and toxic waste. On another video, environmental justice advocate Van Jones reflects, people believe that a relationship with things, a relationship with things will heal the human heart and it will never happen. 
But those of us who embrace different values, he adds, can shift the conversation. You ever see a standing ovation, Jones asks. It starts with one fool standing up. As the symposium drew to a close, several young people said it was the most powerful experience of their lives. I've invited the symposium here on Sunday, April 26th, 2 to 5 p.m., and you can register online. Sunday night in Washington, many of us heard author Terry Tempest Williams speak with a fervor befitting her name. The eyes of the future are looking back at us, she said, and they are praying that we might see beyond our own time. Wyoming, Wyoming is an open wound. The Hopi springs are dry. To engage in responsible citizenship, we must be citizens who respond passionately. Climate change, she said, is not just the heating up of the planet, but a change of minds and hearts. The human heart is the first home of democracy. Do we have enough resolve in our hearts, she asked, to act courageously and relentlessly? The next morning dawned bitter cold. Temperatures in the 20s and winds gusting to 30 miles per hour drove the wind chill down into single digits. Six inches of fresh snow blanketed the city, a blizzard by Washington standards. As thousands of power shift lobbyists flooded Congress, another 3,000 of us marched on the Capitol power plant, an antique coal burner still supplying power to the Congress, Supreme Court, and Union Station, while slowly poisoning those unfortunate enough to live downwind. Some said we'd already won. Just four days earlier, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid had written a letter to the Capitol architect calling for conversion of the power plant to natural gas as quickly as possible. The timing was no coincidence. Democratic leaders didn't want to confront mass civil disobedience on their doorstep, nor could they defend the outmoded technology and environmental racism of the Capitol power plant. We'd won a major victory before a shot was fired. But conversion of the Capitol power plant to natural gas will take years to complete. While the myth of clean coal is being spread by politicians, either naive or disingenuous, and by multi-million dollar ad campaigns financed by the coal industry. As we marched, one of our chants was, clean coal is a dirty lie. Another was, what we do to the land, we do to the people. The old chestnut, the people united will never be defeated, quickly morphed into the planet united will never be defeated. Randy Wilson from Big Creek, Kentucky, walked backwards playing the banjo, leading us in songs, protesting abuse of Appalachia and Appalachians by the coal companies. Soon we'd surrounded the plant, blocking all entrances. As we waited for the police to arrest us, we listened to live hip-hop performances and speeches by Bobby Kennedy Jr., 
DC delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton and community activists. Country music star Kathy Matea performed two stunning Gene Ritchie songs, one of them, The Cool of the Day, you just heard so beautifully sung by the choir. The other, Black Waters, tells the plight of a homeowner whose land has been destroyed by coal mining. Sad scenes of destruction on every hand. Black waters, black waters run down through the land. Judy Bonds, whose Coal River Mountain in West Virginia is being detonated daily by explosives to expose the coal, shouted in her southern drawl, I don't mind being poor, I don't mind being made fun of, but when they bomb me and poison me, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> Hours passed, and the cold took its toll. My boots were waterproof, not insulated. Still far better than the canvas sneakers on the young woman behind me, which were soon soaked in freezing water. A passing medic gave her dry socks, and we steadied her as she, as she slipped them on, as there was no chance of sitting in the packed crowd. Finally, around five o'clock came the announcement that there would be no arrests. There were simply too many of us for the police to process. They refused to arrest us unless we committed an act of violence, which we'd pledged not to do. So we cheered one last time and dispersed. Returning to my hotel, I suddenly realized how tired I was. I'd been on my feet for five hours, first walking, then bouncing on my arthritic toes to keep them warm. Having expected at best a bologna sandwich in jail, the hot meal in the hotel dining room seemed a minor miracle. While blocks away, many of the young marchers whooped it up at a victory party at the Rock and Roll Hotel, I took a hot bath and went to bed. I was disappointed by the lack of arrests. 2,000 arrests would have made headlines around the world. Next time, we'll have to be more creative. There must be somewhere in the nation's capital where thousands of bodies in mass resistance would be intolerable, perhaps at the White House. If President Obama keeps talking about clean coal and alternative energy in the same breath, that may be our next destination. But I was hardened by the bonds of coalition forged across a broad range of communities. Together, we put government and industry on notice that a new generation of activists is committed to stopping global warming and finding alternatives to coal. One young activist told me that power shift left him feeling unstoppable, a conviction clearly shared by thousands of others. For all our sakes, I hope they're right. Just last week, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change reported that their worst-case scenarios, or worse, are being realized, threatening sea level rise up to 39 inches by the end of this century, along with, quote, abrupt or irreversible climate shifts, unquote. Meanwhile, the latest Gallup poll shows a record high 41% of Americans believe the danger of global warming is being exaggerated. Those who take global warming the most seriously 
are between 18 and 29 years old. The challenges we face are immense. The powers arrayed against us, formidable. Climate change raises complex issues of science, technology, and economics far beyond a tidy moral duality of right and wrong. But thousands of young people are cutting their political teeth on climate activism. They are indeed fired up and ready to go. As Jesse Tolkien, the 28-year-old dynamo who runs the Energy Action Coalition, told the power shift youth, this will take more work than any of us has ever done. It will take ideas we haven't come up with yet. I want to live in a world united by the understanding that justice has no borders and that ending global warming is up to all of us. I am in this to win it. I'm putting my money on Jessie and her nonviolent army of climate activists. Amen and blessed be.